there is no indication on the longevity or the commitment that Disney has to this hybrid release model, which has brought in a lot of questions from a lot of folks in the industry and has made planning for the future very difficult for a lot of folks in this business. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only print publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering the movie theater business. Joined today by two of our co-hosts, Rebecca Polly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro, and Sean Robbins, our chief analyst at Box Office Pro. We've got a lot of items to cover today. Uh, we're going to be looking at last weekend's box office that saw a surprise number one finish, going over some comments from the National Association of Theater Owners regarding theatrical exclusivity. And in the feature segment, we'll be talking to Brandon Jones from Cinema Lab as this month's feature interview in our Indie Focus interview series sponsored by our partners at Spotlight Cinema Networks. So before we begin, a quick word from that advertiser. This episode of the Box Office Podcast is brought to you by Spotlight Cinema Networks, the only cinema advertising company dedicated to serving the needs of art house, luxury, and dine-in exhibitors for cinema advertising, pre-show entertainment, event cinema, and digital display distribution. Spotlight offers unique revenue-generating advertising programs tailored to an upscale and influential cinema audience. In collaboration with Box Office Pro, Spotlight Cinema Networks is proud to present Indie Focus, a monthly interview series profiling industry thought leaders, iconic art houses, and executives from the country's leading luxury cinema circuits. To find out more about Spotlight Cinema Networks, visit SpotlightCinemaNetworks.com. And now let's hop right into business. Sean, Rebecca, welcome back. Uh, how's, how were your weekends last weekend? I feel as the weeks pass by, maybe things are normalizing a little bit. Any any trips to the movies recently? Uh, no, not uh, not me. I'm actually uh, spending some time in North Carolina uh, with my with my parents. It's a, it's a great. It's a very uh, you know slower, calmer vibe. It feels like I'm in a completely different world uh, than than the New York City right now. Uh, there are these things called trees. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of them. I've seen them on TV before. Yeah, they, they look. They're actually pretty pre- pretty cool up close. I got to say. Oh, nice, nice. Sean, how are things going in uh, Nashville? It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of always the opposite for me anytime I leave Nashville. But uh, yeah, the last movie I saw was Black Widow. And I think at this point, I'm just trying to make it through the rest of the summer without having a panic attack every time I watch the Atlanta Braves play a baseball game. So (laughs) that's where I'm at right now. Well, I mean, right now, I got to say, baseball's on the back burner for me. And I'm just keeping an eye on uh, the Olympics with, it seems like a new day. Every a new athlete gets uh, gets COVID, and it's right scary and concerning. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching them, but like you said, the concerns are starting to pile up a little bit. Absolutely, big concerns. Uh, and hey, I think that's a good transition into looking at the weekend box office numbers. As we know, there are concerns right now with cases going up here in the United States and in several other countries. Rebecca, have we seen those concerns? Uh, trickle down to the box office numbers in North America? 
Well, it's a, it's a bit tough to say at this point. At the top of the box office over the past weekend, we saw a victory for, uh, for Nostalgia, for LeBron James, for Warner Brothers, for Bugs Bunny. Of course, that means a victory for Space Jam, A New Legacy, uh, which earned $31.66 million on just under 4,000 screens, uh, pulling off an upset victory against Black Widow in its in its second week. Now, in its second week at theaters, Black Widow uh, came in at 26.25 million on uh, 4,200 screens approximately. That's a pretty precipitous drop of 67%. Uh, it's something that NATO has called in a press release that Daniel, we're going to be uh, speaking uh, speaking at length about in a few minutes. They referred to it as a second week, quote, collapse. In the number three spot, we had a new film, Escape Room Tournament of Champions, uh, 8.8 million on around 2,800 screens. Then in fourth place, we had in its fourth weekend, F9, dropping approximately 33% to 7.6 million on around 3,300 screens. And then closing out the top five, the Boss Baby Family Business, uh, $4.7 million on about 3,500 screens in its third weekend. But I think undoubtedly uh, the big story this week is Black Widow. Uh, it's second weekend drop, it being beaten by Space Jam, and, and, and really what the causes are for that. Now, uh, Daniel, NATO put out a pretty strongly worded statement. I think it's fair to say blasting Disney for the hybrid release model for this one and and blaming it for that second weekend drop. That's right, Rebecca. The National Association of Theater Owners on Sunday, the same day that the weekend grosses came in, sending out a press release detailing their long-held stance in support of theatrical exclusivity. As we know, this is a stance that the National Association of Theater Owners, representing the interests of their members, have held uh, for a long, long time. So in many ways, I I don't think it's a very big surprise that this is a position that uh, NATO holds very strongly and that is supported by movie theater owners, not only here in the U.S., but around the world. Now, according to NATO's press release, they claim that Black Widow should have opened anywhere between 92 to 100 million. That actually is in accordance uh, with uh, the forecasting from our chief analyst, Sean Robbins, who will go into uh, this data shortly. But based on the preview revenue, which the numbers are actually quite strong and comparable to some of the same titles in the Marvel Universe, Black Widow could have opened to anywhere between 97 to 130 million Uh, according to the National Association of Theater Owners. Of course, that did not occur. After strong preview numbers, after a strong Friday, it had a very uh, surprising uh, 41% second day drop and ended up earning $80 million in its opening weekend. Now, Disney also included uh, numbers for its opening weekend on Disney Plus's Premier Access PVOD portal, which is basically getting all of the $29.99 uh, revenue and digital rentals they got for the title. 
They brought out the figure of 60 million, integrated that figure into their regular box office reporting. In last weekend's podcast, we went into detail how that really didn't tell us much. Uh, There really wasn't any visibility, transparency. Uh, I think that was reinforced uh, last weekend when we didn't get uh, a peep from the studio uh, regarding its second weekend digital revenues. And NATO brings this up as uh, as a source of concern, of course, that there is no transparency, that this 60 million is just a number that really doesn't go into details. Now, NATO brings up that this PVOD revenue is taking away from the traditional PVOD revenue window. It's not new revenue. It's not something that was inaccessible to them before. It's 60 million that NATO believes they would have earned eventually during the PVOD window. And NATO also including uh, a note regarding the percentage of revenue that actually goes back to Disney+. Plus. Now, it's not 100% of digital revenue going back to Disney+. Plus. It's really around 85%, give or take, because of course we have other digital platforms that facilitate these PVOD rentals for consumers. So of that 60 million, only 85% of that figure really is coming in, as long as we are subtracting from the rental splits, et cetera, that we have with theatrical, right? So uh, so what's the 85% of that 60 million uh, Disney Plus? Disney says that Disney Plus got on Black Widow's first uh, first weekend. Who can do math? It's about 51 million. There you go. Sean, of course. God bless you. <laughs> NATO also brings up other question marks that they believe might have cannibalized the release of this title, including password sharing among uh, among people of Disney Plus uh, access. Um, and of course, something that we're going to be talking about in detail shortly, something that we've talked about in detail for a number of months here, just the piracy impact that we're seeing for titles that go day and date, with Black Widow now being the most pirated movie on torrent websites for the week ending of July 12th. That's just days after its theatrical release, guys. Usually this would be a massive disaster for a major studio title that is getting somewhat overlooked here from the box office reporting. Now, NATO closes their letter by citing how the success of titles with a theatrical exclusivity window like F9 and A Quiet Place 2 have not incurred these big drops that we've seen happen for day and date releases. This is actually another point that we brought up with Sean in last week's episode. So with all that information now thrown at you, Sean, we are going to throw some questions your way. I guess first thing first, uh, what are your immediate reactions from last weekend's box office, from Warner Brothers and another day and day title, Space Jam and New Legacy beating out Black Widow in weekend two. I think it's interesting that the statement from NATO came out on a weekend where we've now seen two straight number one openings from hybrid releases. And the the positive side here, I think, for Space Jam is that it hit the the highest end of expectations that actually beat the the 30 million range we had by about $1.6 million, or exactly $1 million, I believe. So, you know, on the one hand, this is a good result considering the situation and the circumstances, but this is also a movie that costs $150 million to produce and is relying pretty heavily on United States and and basketball fans in particular. So we're still in that situation where it's hard to qualify openings as good or bad for some of these big expensive movies unless they're hitting clearly successful numbers like F9 or Black Widow. To, you know, beyond that, I think I think the fact that Widow is 
is now in its second week. We can kind of start to look at its performance a little more objectively. And there was an expectation for it to drop big even before last weekend started. That was very clear given what happened on opening weekend. And even when looking at the Saturday to Saturday drops and the Sunday to Sunday drops, they're still a little bit more sharp than uh, what we would typically see from a Marvel movie. Not by... You know, not by 10, not by 20% or anything like that, but by at least a few percentage points, which is enough to to really make you question the impact of of what's going on in the market right now, and in particular with that film's availability. Yeah, I mean, Black Widow and F9, they both represent the newest entries in franchises that have both extremely hardcore fans and then the more casual fan base. And, and I think it's pretty unarguable that with Black Widow, the hardcore people went in theaters, went to see it in the premium format, went to see it as soon as they can. And then there was that severe drop off with maybe the more casual fans, you know, I don't know, buying it on on Disney Plus because maybe it's a four person family and that is cheaper than going to the movie theater or as NATO pointed out, pirating it. Whereas F9, I feel like that hardcore to casual fan pipeline, if you can call it that, is a little bit more gradual. I mean, the drops have been uh, less severe than with Black Widow. Yeah, and I, it, it's, also, it's also tough because we're looking at a market that is changing month to month. Some films have had good legs this summer, and I you know, I dare... Uh, not really to uh, to to contradict NATO here, but Cruella, which was a day and date hybrid release, has had really good legs at the box office. Now it still could have performed a lot better under a normal release window. So you know, I'm not necessarily trying to say that that it's it's an exception to to this argument or this presentation. But in Black Widow's case, you're exactly right. This was a movie. This is a franchise that is becoming more and more front loaded. And it's hard to really gauge what that means, especially right now, because young audiences are driving movie ticket sales. Space Jam is another great example of that, because Warner Brothers reported 72% of opening weekend was under the age of 35 and 52% under 25. And it was predominantly male. And that's that's what we've come to expect right now, because the the least likely demographics to come back at the moment are are women generally over the 25 to 35 age range. And that's something Black Widow really probably needed to to get closer to those Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel types of performance numbers. So I, I do see where the argument can be made there that a lot of money was left on the table. I think it's partly because of all of these reasons. It's partly because of the hybrid release. It's partly because of piracy. And it's also partly just because not everybody is coming back to movies yet. And that's that's something that's ultimately beyond the control of anyone outside the pandemic itself. Now, Sean and Daniel, I'd like to ask you both of just because I'm curious on your your take on it. I was certainly a little bit surprised uh, to see this this NATO release cross my inbox on Sunday, uh, taking this strong a stance against Black Widow's hybrid release when at the same time we're seeing every Warner Brothers movie uh, this year having a hybrid release. Uh, things like Boss Baby uh, getting a hybrid release from 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 Universal other films from other studios with shortened windows, you know, do some speculation, uh, you know, fly on the wall. What's the impetus behind this? Well, I think, Rebecca, we have to look at what the different stances have been by the players that have committed to day and date releases so far. Warner Brothers, of course, made the very controversial decision of putting their entire slate day and date, but they only committed to doing that for 2021. 
And they've gone on the record several times uh, since saying that this is a pandemic era, pandemic only move. And that move in itself helped bring movies to theaters at a time when nobody else was. And and they're not out there saying, look how many people saw Space Jam A New Legacy on HBO Max versus in exactly. theaters. They're not promoting that. As, and you uh, know what? If, if they were, that'd be great if they kept on giving us numbers. I think the, the Disney move, and we spoke about this last week, is a little bit different in the sense that there is no indication on the longevity or the commitment that Disney has to this hybrid release model, which has brought in a lot of questions from a lot of folks in the industry and has made planning for the future very difficult for a lot of folks in this business, right? Moreover, I think the decision, and we brought this up in last week's podcast, of Disney to bring up PVOD revenue uh, on the opening weekend of Black Widow is good. That's a good thing. We've been calling for it for, for how long? For years to get that transparency on what those digital rental numbers are. But lo and behold, they only sent us a chunk of revenue for one title as a press release to take a victory lap around something that worked. We still don't know what the numbers between Mulan are. We still don't know the numbers between b- that, that Raya and the Last Dragon made. We don't know what's something that skipped theaters entirely. And they've set an odd precedent now because they they took Black Widow, a, the first Marvel movie in two years, they used that as a means to to be the first studio to put out streaming numbers. And now the headlines are about how, how much the film dropped at the box office, but we have no no indication of how much it dropped on Disney Plus, and it it probably did drop because forever, how many people were going out to the theater to see this? There were clearly enough people to buy it at home. That figure would have dropped off after the initial rush. They're not really ready to advertise that yet, and I think we have to read between the lines, but we we really shouldn't have to do that. We need clarity on both ends of this performance. Absolutely, and I, I think that's one of the fears that we've expressed several times here with the role that digital is going to have in reporting viewership figures for films from major studios. Is this going to turn into a press release spin type of business instead of a business that can very clearly and transparently report the performance of these titles across different platforms? I think uh, right now what we're seeing from Disney is an attempt to put out a narrative rather than to clearly state the performance of one of their titles in the market. And I think the timing too is is interesting because you know Black Widow was it was the summer movie. We had Fast 9, we had A Quiet Place, we've still got more movies coming out, but this was really the chance for both Disney, really all aspects of the industry, which maybe is why it's not so surprising that within an 8-day time frame we had Disney and NATO put out these massive statements of very different kinds to essentially now wait and see or or kind of get the messaging out about what what especially theater owners want to see as we get into this fall slate with movies that Disney itself has said will be exclusive like Shang-Chi they've they've said on the record it will be out for 45 days uh in theaters but there's been talk after the Black Widow numbers came out and just pure speculation about whether Disney might change that plan or not so this is kind of that last chance to really get the attention around a big movie and point out how important it is to get back to Windows, especially for Disney titles, which are such a driver for the for the the engine of the box office and the entire movie industry. 
I mean, I'll definitely be interested to see what goes down this upcoming week with the release of Snake Eyes going up against Black Widow, going up against Space Jam, because Snake Eyes does have theatrical exclusivity. Right. Uh, Sean, could you, could you kind of give us a rundown of what's coming up this weekend and, and what your box office expectations are for those films? So I think with Snake Eyes, we we probably have a good chance to see another one of those male-driven movies that's it's going to probably have a little bit of appeal to kids too because of the G.I. Joe connection. I, I would probably peg it somewhere in the upper teens to low 20s right now. It, it's certainly a movie that's seen its marketing, I think, kick in recently, which has become a common theme this summer. Studios are are really kind of turning that key as close to release as possible to, 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 to save on, I would assume, marketing expenditures as the recovery process is still going on. Old has, has had a pretty interesting cycle. Its trailers have been out for a while, and I think Shyamalan still has his his draw, his base. Uh, the question to me is how many people are ready to go see another horror genre type of film right now? We've had several this summer. I think the fact that this is an original and it has his name on it uh, could help to some extent. But this is also a filmmaker who is very... Uh, he's had an interesting track record. Let's put it that way. And I think probably reviews. He's very hit or miss. Yeah. I would say he lives and dies from word of mouth. What what, what matters here really beyond the critics, beyond the presale figures are, are people talking about this title? You know, these are both movies that this is kind of the beginning of, I think of the trend we'll see for the next two to two and a half months, movies that could open, you know, relatively well, uh, but aren't going to get anywhere near the attention that the biggest openers have, have had this summer. We're entering this period where it's going to seem a little bit more quiet, but there are more movies coming out. There are going to be more films like Snake Eyes. Then we'll have Jungle Cruise and, and Suicide Squad and Don't Breathe 2 and Free Guy next month. So the openings won't be as headline grabbing, but the volume of content out in theaters in, in late July and August into September should be significantly higher. So I think that's going to continue this this rebound process of of getting closer and closer to pre-pandemic weekly box office numbers. But, you know, at this point, all attention is is really kind of on some of these late summer movies, but especially on Shang-Chi. And I think, to me, the litmus test of how many adults are, are really going to be coming back to movie theaters in October with no time to die. And coincidentally, one of the people who's going to be keeping a very close eye on the box office this weekend is our feature interview subject this week, Brandon Jones of Cinema Lab. Cinema Lab is a consortium of community and independent theaters, one of which the five screen village cinemas at South Orange Performing Arts Center in New Jersey is actually opening on July 22nd. We were very excited to speak with him about his plan and, and Cinema Lab's mission of revitalizing these community theaters in cities and towns that otherwise would be movie deserts. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this is your third time on the podcast, and we are always absolutely thrilled to have you. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks for having me again. I always look forward to talking to y'all. Could you give us some background on how Cinema Lab came to be, kind of what the germ of it was for you uh, of when you started thinking about that project and what it took and, and how long it took to actually bring it together to what it is now? Yeah, this has been a true you know, passion project. So I met Patrick Wilson and Luke Parker Bowles in 2017, and we started doing neighborhood, you know, community-based movie theaters. So as we were doing that, we um, had another theater in mind that we wanted to put together, and that just 
fell through, as so many things can do when you're doing these kind of things. But we are opening our first theater in South Orange, New Jersey, the Village at SOPAC, the South Orange Performing Arts Center. It's a former bow tie, five screens, and we will open a soft opening on July 22nd. So we will follow that. And we just don't want to miss the summer movie going season. And we'll get through that and then start uh, putting a renovation project together for that one. So talking about opening uh, a new theater, of course, you've got background in your career as a CMO in getting people excited, informing people in the community to come out and support a new theater. This is a new chapter, not only in your life, but I think for many CMOs in this industry, getting people to come out to a new theater when they maybe haven't been to a movie theater for the last year and a half. How are you tackling that challenge as a marketer with opening these new locations right now? Yeah, that, that's a, something I think we'd all love to know the secret sauce to, right? Because I look at it too, also in this case, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we do day-to-day basis, we do marketing for movie theaters on, and then obviously we built Cinema Week to be, you know, more industry-wide focus activation. And in this role, I'm both an owner of a movie theater company and also in charge of the marketing and have some pedigree with launching movie theaters. So there's a lot of those aspects coming together. And and I really think you've got to offer something more to the moviegoer to get them motivated when they can. I mean, Black Widow is a great case. I'm sure Disney's very happy this week and they had a very successful box office and very successful streaming. And that's probably the grail for them. And for an exhibitor, making the experience something more. That can be hospitality, that could be eventizing it, that could be concessions, that could be something unique in the auditorium. In our case, we look at Cinema Lab as first and foremost, these are community-based movie theaters where if they did not exist in these communities, they, there would be a, an entertainment desert there. Um, secondly, we believe in being very technology first. So the ability to control a lot of your experience from your phone, from ordering tickets to concession, tracking loyalty, but even getting a little bit more, how do you uh, shop entertainment, this experience to that aspect? And, you know, you want, uh, you want the same drinks that they were drinking or the suit that Daniel Craig's wearing? Well, let's figure out ways to, to Shopify this a little bit. And then the other thing we believe in is truly being, you know, have an environment where it's hospitable. So the guests can come in and be welcome. I think that's where we lean into the community-based movie theaters versus the big box movie theaters. We really want to know our guests and be important to these communities. And then the, the final, I think, leg in that stool is programming. So we've talked about an assortment of movies already today that people could want to go see. The tent poles are the driver. We, we get it. They have to be there. But on a Wednesday or Thursday night or even a Saturday or a Sunday, is there, is there something unique? So the way we approach the marketing is, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to Cinema Lab. Oh, what are you going to see? I don't know. That's just what we do. We go there because there's a movie we like. There's a talkback series. There's conversations with filmmakers and celebrities. There's uh, you know a single night event that's going on. It's a documentary series. It's a music. It's gaming. Who knows? But you know we want to be highly diverse and and really focus in on kind of this filmmaking aspect and giving 
really pulling the curtain back so you see the movie, but you also get something else. As, as you mentioned, a lot of these cinema lab theaters or, or theaters that you will acquire down the line, you know, if they went under, these are communities that would not have a movie theater at all. Community movie theaters, I think, have been particularly hard hit by the pandemic. And, and really, it's just kind of been a wake-up call as to how precarious their financial situation can be in the best of times, in the non-pandemic times. You, know, you touched on, on this a bit, but obviously programming is a part of it. Obviously, remaining connected to the community is a part of it. But maybe uh, more on the operational side or on the tech side or, or, or just speaking very generally, what needs to happen for there to be a, a thriving atmosphere of, of these independent or, or community theaters? Not just looking theater by theater, but taking it more holistically. Yeah, and I feel like that there's one momentum and energy that you've got to fill these spaces back with. You know, I think a couple of years ago we said, oh, you, you know, movie theaters can't just make money on the box office. So they, I think in a lot of ways, they raise concession prices. But I don't think you can just, having a straight traditional movie theater in one of these community-based theaters is not enough. It has to be the heartbeat of entertainment and culture within the community, offering more than just studio product, offering more than traditional concessions. It doesn't have to be full service dine-in, but there has to be some kind of elevation there that I can have a full evening out experience. I think we've said it several times and maybe even on this podcast before is that we're in the going out business. So yes, we are driven by the movies that come out and that's the heartbeat of what we do and we're, we love movies, but there also has to be unique content, a talkback series. And it doesn't just have to be the filmmakers of that movie because that's hard to do, but maybe that there's somebody else in the community that is well-versed on films that can talk about what inspired that movie or there are other movies that you should see as you lead up to that film. Or this is a documentary and this is how it affects our local community. Absolutely. So I think that's important. And then just from a marketing side, the idea that we're marketing all things to everybody is, you know, makes my head explode. And and really getting into the data of who is the customer for this particular type of programming, not just the film genre, but are there, you know, family, horror, comedy, sci-fi, you know, music, whatever it is. I think we've got to be specific on the message. So we're catering to definitely a, a unique set. We want a lot of families and we want a lot of couples and we want a lot of older couples. You know, we don't want to be babysitters. So we're going to program the theater to fit that mold. So now when you start something new, a new project like this, Brandon, where the ambition isn't really just directed towards a single location or a single community, where there's an ambition to create a network, to create a brand out of several different communities. Can we just fast forward a little bit, look ahead in time uh, with our crystal ball? What are, what are your goals uh, with Cinelab for the next, say, one year? And then let's go way forward for the next 10 years. For sure. That's a, that's a great question. And we've been, since we've been building this project for several years in the making uh, to get our first theater open, um, we've been contemplating that a lot. And certainly the last 15 or 16 months has probably changed our vision quite a bit. The goal here is we want to get the first theater open done really, really well. And then we have, and that's the one in South Orange. And then we have a follow-up number two theater in Bradley Beach 
It will convert a single screen theater into three auditoriums plus a, a lounge and a bar. And then a third theater in Maplewood, New Jersey, that will be six screens plus full dine-in. So they'll, they'll each have their own feel, you know, but they're going to have the same spirit. You know, I think that they're going to, they'll be unique to their communities, but again, they'll carry that cinema lab DNA throughout them. And now that we've, you know, we're 10 days away from opening our first location and then have the other two in development now, the number of theaters that are coming to us are real estate landlords, developers saying, hey, we have this space and it fits what you guys are trying to do rather than, you know, converting a big box theater. I think that's where we have really three stories to tell here. There is certainly the arts and entertainment and culture story, and we all love movies. There is the the story about employment. These are great first jobs, seasonal jobs, and, and there's career development at movie theaters with the staff from customer service to technology to marketing to operations and just working as a team. You know, retail is changing so fast, and there are these great theaters that are already there that because they were traditional theaters or they were smaller footprint, we, we've just built our company that we don't carry a lot of overhead so we can open up and we're not trying to get rich off of a five or six screen movie theater. We're trying to have, you know, create a cultural center that is uh, or a cultural town center for each one of these communities. And those economics will work for us if we program it right. We have the right food and beverage offering. There's programming seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. And then, and certainly I think membership is, will be a key driver in what we do. And you mentioned uh, the data, the viewing data from, from the people going in through your doors, from your community, and that being a big factor in influencing your programming, your show times, you know, when you open, what concessions you have. It's been fascinating looking at how this industry has taken viewing data over the last, I think really, is it fair to say, Brandon, five, 10 years? When did you start seeing data really come in and making these decisions at the theater level? Yeah, we were an early adopter, or I was, you know, through my experience, was a really early adopter in this, you know, back in 2011 and 2012. So you're right, like that was the 10 years ago was kind of the the innovator and early adopter stage. And then in you know, 2016, 2017, I think it became important. And what do we do with it? But where I think movie theaters generally missed was that the movie theater has has owned the relationship with the movie goer for so long. And the studios wanted to own that relationship, but there's always that path through because I buy my ticket from the movie theater or Fandango or Adam tickets. So that's who owns the relationship. And then what do you do with all that data? Because a lot of times it just sits there in a, you know, on a server somewhere. And our, I, I think a lot of the small to mid-sized exhibitors just don't have the bandwidth to dig in and figure out, okay, what does this audience look like? What does this behavior look like? And what do we do with this? And then the other thing that has been a challenge is, again, small to mid-sized exhibitors have not been able to create content to meet you know, in their marketing because it's expensive to create a lot of original content. So we rely on the studios who serve up awesome marketing content. It is amazing. However, it's the same for everybody. And if my movie theater is slightly different, I need to make I need to tailor that in some way, but I'm dealing with somebody else's IP. So I think there is a huge marketing opportunity. It needs to be a real investment. 
And if you're just going to do some of it, then just go market movies. If you really want to market your experience, and there's a few, I think there's only a handful of uh, exhibitors who really know who their customers are and market a unique brand. I don't think you have to travel very far to figure out who they are. Talking about it on a more macro level, as a marketer, what are the primary tools that you're utilizing to get in touch with these folks? I mean, I'm a huge fan of the digital space. We've made a living out of being digital marketers. The tools are really sophisticated now, and they also help level the playing field. So if you can put a reasonable budget into social media and digital marketing, I think you get tremendous ROI on that. And then if you can be really good, then earned media, the way we went out, especially what we did with Cinema Week, because we didn't have a big budget, and we really leveraged the earned media. And I saw a lot of other exhibitors who leaned into the earned media. You know, they were utilizing their press releases and getting the local news station to come out and cover Cinema Week as an event, but they were also covering other parts of that week as an event. So I think those are great, but then also find out what is really important either to the community or the ownership. I think giving back, and we have a platform in which we can give back to the communities, whether that is special needs screenings or movies and meals programs or you know food bank drives or toy drives, finding out what's really important within the community that will bring large groups of people out at one time versus one-offs. Uh, can move the needles in big ways. And then the final piece of that that I think is, you know, again, we talk about this loyalty membership rewards thing. You should know who your best customers are. Like your thousand true fans should not be unknown to you. Digging in and who's coming most often, I would talk to them almost to a one-to-one basis as best as you can. Identify them. You are one of our most important customers they're your advocates. They're probably already checking in and telling people they're going to your theater. So why are they a mystery? They shouldn't be a mystery. Give them a text number. Give them, you know, someplace that they can, you know, a back channel into the theater. Like if if your moviegoers are really that important, then treat them like gold. And I can tell you as a moviegoer, uh, many times I will make a decision based on the title. And sometimes the showtime, sometimes the proximity, living in a big city like New York City, I have my choice of cinema to go to. So when I make a decision based on title, I'll tell you, the email marketing that I've seen from circuits and from independent cinemas is extremely helpful in guiding my choice. Meaning that if it's a hot day and someone markets the right milkshake next to uh, next to a picture of, of the showtimes that they have for the film I'm interested in watching, that gets in my inbox on a Wednesday. I'm going to make a plan and I'm going to make a decision on a specific cinema, not based on the title alone, but based on that milkshake they just sent me. So it's, it's really fascinating to see how cinemas can really use their amenities or use what they have in-house to influence consumer choices in a way that really wasn't a factor in the 1990s or early 2000s. Yeah, and and again, I go back to most exhibitors only have the time to push out this, the content that the studios give them. But, you know, if you watch a Super Bowl, you know, there's been studies done that when Papa John's runs an ad, Pizza Hut's phone rings. And it's just, if we're just marketing the same thing, that's why I think exhibitors right now more than ever 
really need to focus in on what makes their experience unique. What is it about their brand? Is it their mobile app? Is it their concessions? Is it the fact that they give back in the community? Is it whatever it is, define it and lean into that and then really tell that story and tell the story of what movies are coming up because they're a huge piece of, you know, they're the engine to our business. But don't be afraid and don't get too distracted because telling your own story is so important. I mean, your brand has a story. Figure out how to tell it or hire somebody who's good at telling it and, and let's do that. Brandon, thank you very much for joining us. That was Brandon Jones from Cinema Lab. The interview segment brought to you by Spotlight Cinema Networks in our Indie Focus feature. The Box Office Podcast is brought to you by Box Office Pro in collaboration with The Box Office Company and also produced by Record Edit Podcast. You can tune in to new episodes every Thursday, including next Thursday, where we will be going into more detail on the box office and the latest headlines in the movie theater industry. On behalf of Rebecca, Sean, and myself, thanks again for tuning in. <laughs>